Welcome to the Book Club Interview with your host, Scott Hollister, a show that empowers you to discover your best self through a deep understanding and review of books dedicated to self-improvement and business. All right. Welcome to the Book Club Interview. My name is Scott Hollister, your host. Today's guest is James Kadasami, who wrote the book, Passive Investing in Commercial Real Estate, The Insider Secrets to Achieving Financial Independence. James, welcome to the show today. How are you doing? uh, Happy to be here. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We're having a great conversation before about passive investing. Glad you wrote the book because there's not much out there when it comes to, you know, the passive investor side. So uh, it's a it's a phenomenal resource to have for anybody that's interested in investing in passive commercial real estate. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as I uh, you know, if you look at any uh, commercial real estate investment, unless, you know, people are doing like single family home where one person do the whole thing, right? But Nowadays, with you know, syndicated commercial real estate becoming very popular, or has become very popular, you know, ninety-five percent of the investors are passive investors, and and I wrote a book to you know to tell them you know how they should be uh, become a, a smarter passive investor because mm. there's tons of book out there you know for active investors, but they are just five percent of the overall population, right? Smart man. I love it. <laughs> well, before we jump into the book, uh, you want to tell the listeners more about yourself and where you've uh, started in the real estate field? Um, James Kandasamy, uh, staying in Austin, Texas right now. Uh, we uh, we own like uh, 1,300 units right now on our own, of course, with our passive investors. But uh, we, uh, I mean, the, the count is very important for me because I, that's what I, one thing I mentioned in the book because so much of abuse in the unit count that everybody's, a lot of people are making is... Uh, this is not including passive investments or, you know, we being a KP or any other deal. Uh, this is purely we are managing it directly. And um, we are operators, uh, which basically we are active asset managers. Uh, to take it further than that, we actually own our own property management and construction management on top of raising money and doing asset management as well to buy deals. Um, so deals are primarily in Austin, San Antonio market, Um in central Texas, but we have investors uh, nationwide. Oh, that's great. Now, in, in terms of, you know, the first sentence in the book that kind of really caught my uh, eyes and it was like, don't read this book. So I think that was from uh, Robert Allen who wrote the, um, Correct. the intro there. So when did that real estate bug first bite you? Um, well, I mean, the first bug was because when I did my first deal, uh, maybe I'm just moving to my second deal after my first deal, well, I got like, uh, it was a 45 units and, uh, you know, there's like four investors in it, uh, including me, it's five. And uh, I know we really worked hard to find the best deals out there. We underwrote it conservatively. We did a really good job. What did a really, really, really below market. And uh, one of my investors who were really impressed with the work I did and uh, and uh, he had like probably like five to 600,000 and he, and he invested um, small amount, maybe, I believe, 100000 into my deal. And he said, uh, I asked him, what did you do with the rest of the money? Oh, he invested in all the other deals. So that was a bit uh, shocking to me because for me, not all real estate deals are the same, right? But I think the way this passive investor was thinking is that he's thinking real estate is the same, right? All operators are the same. So I'm just going to put money across... 10 different deals, right? So I'm going to get the same returns, right? So he didn't really think about like, hey, I need to 
underwrite this deal or not underwrite i need to characterize each of this deal and try to make it suitable for himself and be a smarter investor so because when i asked him what are the criteria you use to choose all the other investment he said no i just put blindly into all the other deals and i was like huh why so so the thought process of passives in in a, in a lot of groups is like everybody's the same market is hot it's a, it's a fear of missing out right so so they just want to get all the money out they think everybody's going to be giving the same return performance is going to be the same um but they didn't think about the market they didn't think about um the operator they didn't think about their own life uh, investment cycle they didn't think that uh, they didn't give me a really good answer that's what i feel so that's where the aha moment <laughs> bite me to write a book for passive investors hey you know this is not same as all investments are the same right like if you go and buy a stock right you're going to do a lot of analysis on who's behind it who's the management is it a good value that you're buying what's the stock performance but but what this investor did and i also realized a lot of almost everybody do that or a lot of passive investor do that especially when they are you know when they're in a certain group uh, they just blindly put money into whoever gives them the deal right so that's why i thought okay i need to write a book so that i can educate my passive investors on how to become a, a smarter passive investors because i think for me is important right uh, and that's the reason i wrote the book that's why it got <laughs> it bite me so yeah well that's good yeah no it's a good bite because i think you know anytime you can you know talk about education that's that's phenomenal so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you talk about education is the first step in the book and you know, obviously the best place to get started is to, to read your book. And then from there, you know, grow. And you're talking about getting out and meeting people. Mm-hmm. Um, now you talked about the three W's of passive real estate investing. So with the understanding of what, where, and why we become empowered to make better investment decisions. So mm-hmm. how do we get away from being that blind investor in the sense of the three W's after that um, education? I would say, you know, before you go and entrust your money with someone, you know, go and start networking, right? Uh, go to free networking events, meetups, right? Even bigger pockets I mentioned in the book, right? Start there, right? It's a free account. Bigger pockets is, you know, almost a million dollars, million people there right now, right? Uh, so many people were successful there. You can just ask questions, just ask some even stupid questions. It doesn't matter. There's a lot of people who will help you. Even you go and look for, go for meetups, right? Uh, and talk to people, right? Uh, because uh, a lot of times in commercial real estate, especially on a syndicated commercial real estate, it's, it's a private LLC operation. It's a business by itself where it's private, right? A lot of people don't talk what happens after the deal closes, right? Uh, um, and there's no forum for you to go and find out because it's all a private, right? So the only way for you to get information is, you know, go and talk to other people in meetups, in bigger pockets, or just try to reach out, uh, you know, to, you know, if you want to invest in, in, a, in a deal, just reach out to the passive investor already invested in that deal, with, in another deal with the same sponsor, right? Mm-hmm. So just, you know, getting to know people, networking, will avoid a lot of traps on um, making a bad investment decisions. Well, that's amazing. I love that. Get out, network, ask great questions, and you know, just, just keep learning. So yeah. the, the past investor is not going to spend too much time or any effort managing the deals, depending on you know, each deal is a little bit specific. So mm-hmm. you talked about some of the benefits of being a past investor, cash flow, tax deductions, and leverage. So if you're talking to someone who's brand new, 
and maybe they've just invested in stocks. So how do you explain, you know, some of the more complex tasks to the first time investor? Well, I mean, let's say, for example, a person who invests in stocks, right? So I would start uh, with talking about the risk of uh, risk versus reward thing, because stock does make a lot of money, right? So the chances of you making money in, uh, I mean, the, the amount of money that you can make in stock probably is three times more than real estate, but the probability of you making money is less, right? <laughs> so there's a probability versus <laughs> versus chances, right? So so I did, I did write a blog post where like stock versus uh, real estate, right? What's the difference? And there's a chart in that, in that blog post, which talks about, you know, how volatile is stocks, right? It goes up and down so quickly within a few years, right? And, and versus real estate is it's a slow and steady, but you do make money, right? So, mm. so it's a risk versus reward return and plus the probability of you making that amount of money, right? Um, so I would start from there. Right, and after that, I talk about um, you know how how real estate is an asset class, which is a hard asset class, right? It's not going to disappear, whereas stock can disappear, right? So yeah. real estate is not going to go, and uh, you know, so that's the second thing I would mention, and the third thing I would mention of definitely of the tax advantage, right? Uh, of course, all this is on top of the returns that you're going to be making on real estate, right? Which is the annual returns and backend returns too, when you sell the deal, right? Uh, where you build up the equity for the right deal, mm-hmm. right? So these are things I would mention, uh, which I think would make sense for a lot of uh, stock investors. Awesome. Now, in terms of like considerations, passive investors should make when, you know, looking to invest in a deal. And mm-hmm. I, I loved how you gave three examples in the book and you, you, you eventually led to the IRR, which was a really good metric to, to check mm-hmm. out a deal. And what do we look like and how do we pair up with an investor with the same goals? Um, so I'm trying to understand your question. So we're talking about the metrics and oh, how do you pair up with the goals? Okay, so basically you have to look at what each investors want, right? Where they are in their life, right? So that's one thing I talk about in the book that you know um, investors should have different need in their life cycle, right? And that's where they should be investing to investing with that objective in their mind, right? Uh, not like the guy I told you in the beginning where he just invests into every deal he saw and he thought everything's going to work out fine, right? And surprisingly, a lot of, I mean, I think probably half or maybe 20, 30% of this deal didn't really work out. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? So um, I would say every investors need to look at where they are in their investment cycle. What is their goal? Is it more cash flow or do they want to double in terms of their equity or do they mm-hmm. have a, a good paying W-2 job right now or are they at the end of their W-2 job and they want to retire, right? So based on that, um, I would say investors who are looking more for cash flow towards the end of their their investment cycle, their cash flow is important. They just want the cash flow. You know, they don't care about doubling the equity but, and they have a large amount of money that they have probably like one to $2 million. You know, they can look for cash flow type of deal where the IRR really doesn't matter their metrics would be more on a cash flow uh, metrics, right? Uh, but there's also a trick, right? So after 2015, there's a lot more deals that were done, were being done or current, being done using IO loans, right? IO is interest only. So you have to look for cash flow during interest only period and you have to look for cash flow after interest only period, 
right? So a lot of sponsor doesn't show the cash flow after the IO period expires. So, so you have to be careful with that. So, so what I mean, coming back to the original questions, as people who are in that investment cycle should look for more for cash flow rather than looking at IRR itself, mm. right? Um, whereas investors who are you know looking at both cash flow, but they they are. They emphasize more on doubling the equity or increasing the equity, you know, by a large amount, and they have a solid, stable W two job, and uh, you know they have a, you know a smaller fund. They can look at more into IRR, right, which focuses a lot on the back end uh, of or at the sale of the property because IRR a lot of it is driven by the sale, the equity build up at the end, right. Um, so they can focus a lot more on IRR, right. But IRR can be used for both. Uh, I would say, you know, as long as the focus is right in terms of the cash flow versus IRR and what you want, you know, you'd be fine. Um, yeah, it's a bit hard to use IRR for a cash flow deal because, you know, um, like, you can buy, you know, a deal which is just cash flowing very nicely, but there's no appreciation, right? Uh, and the, your IRR will be lower, right, compared to a deal which has a small number of cash flow but has a big NOI or equity build up at the end, right? Um, but the the second part of the investors where they they want a lot of uh, equity, they also have to understand they're taking a lot more risk compared to the cash flow guys because cash flow is today. You are getting the money mm-hmm. like start you get the money today, but IRR you're hoping like you know three five years from now the cap rate is going to compress and the market still going to be good and. You know, you are taking a bit more risk, but that's the risk versus reward, right? Uh, they're taking more risk, but they also have a solid W two job, and that's the risk they have to take, right? Whereas the people who want to retire, they do not want to risk their 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 money that they have on a on a back end uh, equity build up, which is not really uh, promised or solid, right? Because it all depends yeah. on the market. Well, those are great explanations. And I think that leads into, you know, my next question is the sure. operator, right? And we, we agree on this point a hundred percent and it's believing in that deal sponsor. So, so the person that, that puts forward, you know, that the, the business and the plan and executes it. So what do you look for in a person or a company when you're, let's say you're investing in other deals? Um, first of all, I want to clarify the operator, right? So the operator is a person who is an active asset manager. He, he most probably would be the guy who underwrites the deal, right? So a lot of times nowadays, after the introduction of the Jobs Act in 2015, where 506C has become more popular, right? Where you can just do, you know, it's, it's you know, openly advertised and, you know, um, is open to accredited investor, 506C. Because of 506C, what's happened is, uh, you know, um, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, a lot of people out there, you know, also raising money and um, being involved in the GP ship, right? So, but, you know, you have to really find out who is the operator in the GP ship, right? So, because nowadays GPs are, there's a lot of people, if you look at the operating agreement, there's a lot of people in the GPs and you have to look for who's that one person who underwrote the deal, who knows the exact numbers behind the deal and you know underwrote it and said that this is a good investment and, and they're going inv- to they're going to execute the business plan usually it's a bit hard to find that person because mm-hmm. as i said after 2015 uh, you know the gp ship has become a bit muddy so <laughs> identify yeah. the operator right um, so once you find the operator you know the way to you know underwrite them 
Android <laughs> operator, right? I would say exactly. Uh, the best way is if you have never worked with that operator, is basically to um, ask the passive investors who have invested with them before this, right? Um, uh, you have to understand that new operators do become really good after a few deals, and they can't you can't sideline them. But new operators also come with a risk because it's the first time they're doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and uh, I think that's the best way to do it. Just ask the you know current investors who have invested with them. Um, you know how did they do? Did they really communicate well in their execution? Uh, are they being responsive in their communication? Uh, how is the performance of the deal? Right? Are they taking in charge of the deal or not? Are they being a leader? Right? Do they have a business experience? So, so these are the things I would look for because uh, you know running a multi-million dollar you know, large multifamily um, or any commercial real estate, you know, it takes a lot of uh, business skills and leadership skills. And yeah. uh, usually you don't find that when the market is good, right? right? From 2009 to now, market is good. Like, so a yeah, lot, of, yeah. lot of people, I mean, I mean I, I'm not saying that I'm different and I'm, I'm also helped by the market, but there's a lot of skills that an operator brings to the table. Um, mm-hmm. But just understand that everybody's a champion in a bull market, right? So, so the yeah. best is to ask the <laughs> the passive investors who have invested with them on how how did they do in their current deals or their past deals. No, rising tide raises all boats. But that's yeah. uh, I like that. That's important. It's, it's finding that 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 one person that's you know really understands the asset. And um, you know, I do some fix and flip loans on the side, and my biggest thing is looking at the operator. I could, and I say this very loosely, I could care less about the market, the deal or whatever, because I, if I know, and I trust that person hundred percent, they're the expert, right? It's more about trusting them. And that's kind of that step when it comes to being a passive investor, right? You're, you're relinquishing some control and giving it to that person that you believe in. Exactly. Exactly. Sometimes the uh, passive investors go too much into the numbers, into the market, and they listen to all single detail that being told, you know, during a webinar, you know, key things they want to look at. Can I can I trust this guy with my money? And all right, can you do the work? Exactly. Right? So next step is analyzing the deal. So how do we get past that overwhelming feeling of getting the first deal, and how to focus on those fundamentals when you're just starting out? It's hard, right? Especially on your first deal, because even when I did my first deal. I could not analyze the deal. I mean, I'm I'm just surprised how many newbies are getting started and i think that's part of the lot of uh, limitation that newbies have right because they just don't know how do i work out this deal right so when i did my first deal when i look at the pnl i mean i got this deal through off market uh, marketing and you know of course there's no brokers to tell me what is the upside they didn't have a nice nice om to talk about the location the town and all that right so i have to do i just have a rent roll in financials so I, it took me some time to really go through the numbers and I found out the numbers were wrong as well. They had capital included as part of the expenses. So almost a week, I just gave up on it. And after a week, I was thinking something must be wrong because the price per dollar that I'm buying is really, really low compared to the market because buying like 35 and I know everybody was paying like 50 something. So uh, then after some time, uh, <laughs> I realized there was a lot of capital included as part of the expense. So, so it's just a matter of sitting on it and analyzing it. And I also had a mentor to help me out uh, to go through that. But during that process of me figuring out capital is expense, they didn't help me out. But 
it's just a matter of uh, you know uh, analyzing the deal slowly and uh, peeling the onion in the financials. Mm. I like that peel the onion. That's a that's a good good saying. I'm going to remember that one. <laughs> uh, so we're recording this May 2019. So what are you looking for these days when it comes to analyzing a, analyzing a deal at this time in the market? Oh, this time of the deal, I mean, right now, I didn't even underwrite any deal for the past, uh, what, until yesterday, for past three months before yesterday, I didn't underwrite any deal because market is too hot and I know most of the deals out there that not going to really make sense, right? So, mm-hmm. so I have good reputation in my current uh, local city uh, brokers. Uh, so they will call me if there's a deal, right? <laughs> that they think that I'm going to buy because they're not going to send me any deals out there too, right? So, but at the same time, I just bought like almost a thousand units in the past 12 months. I thought of, okay, let me cool down here. We were focusing a lot on operations. As I mentioned, we mm-hmm. own our own property management uh, and we, I was like trying to tighten up a lot of operational issues. We were introducing mm-hmm. a lot of systems right now uh, in our deals, in our operations that I think is important for me to slow down. So, but nowadays when I look at a deal, I usually will look at three, four parameters only to really determine whether it's a good deal or not, right? So, um, so I only look at a few things before I decide on my next move on the deal. Oh, great. Now I have a question on the bringing the property management in-house as, all, as mm-hmm. well as the construction. Mm-hmm. So I hear it helps a lot with you know, having a personal hands-on touch, but it really doesn't add to the bottom line. Can you speak on that while bringing it in? Um, well, we, we had our property management since day one when we started in 45 units itself. Okay. Um, yeah, it doesn't a lot add a lot to your bottom line. You're not going to make money with property management company, but it does give us control, right? And mm-hmm. a lot of times when we do value-add deals, especially the deep value-add, and even value-add, it gives us a lot of control uh, to turn around the properties, right? Uh, and my wife and I, we we are like a, a, a bit control freak. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we want to see every day what's happening with our with our deal, right? Because we have investors' money, no, um, investing based on our name, and we want to make sure that we really, really work on it, right? So we just it's a bit very hard. It's very, very hard for us to not look at operation every single day, even though if I give it to third party management and we realize, okay, why not we just do it ourselves, right? So, mm. yeah. uh, and we have set an expectation, right? Um, yeah. On our managers and, and and we would not have that control if we give it to third party. Well, that's good. I love it. Keeping it in-house. All right. Yep. Uh, before we pivot to the end of the show, uh, I'd like to ask these two questions. So what's the best advice you were given when it comes to business and real estate? Uh, it's all in the mindset, right? So that's the, that's the, that's the aha moment. Um, at some point in my life when I was doing my W2 job and I read a book called uh, magic of thinking big, right? So it's all in the mindset. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to believe that you can do it. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it's the same in real estate too. This is, it's all about mindset. If you think there's a deal out there, there's definitely a deal. If you think there's no deal markets pick, there's definitely no deal. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's a great book. I love that magic. Think it big. That's awesome. And, and you yourself, I mean, you're, you're quite the educated person when I was reading your, your background, your bio and where you've come from. So can we talk a little bit about that before we wrap things up? Uh, well, I'm an electrical engineer with an MBA and uh, I have a CCIM now, which I just recently obtained right? after after owning 1300 units. So that may not be, <laughs> it's, it's not costing me that CCIM doesn't cost me 
<laughs> it's not the reason why I buy, you know, buy so many deals uh, within a short period of time. No. Uh, education is is just, you know, um, I'm not saying it's nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like engineering, right? Teaches you how to solve problems, right? So college education is not about subject matter, but it's about you know simulating your entire life in a in a in an exam situation, right? How do you handle pressure, right? How do you solve problems? That's what that's what for me, you know, uh, my degree taught me. Right, uh, especially my engineering degree. How do we solve problem? How do we analyze problem? How do we, uh, you know, peel the onion to solve the problem? Right, methodologically thinking. Right, that's what engineering taught me. It really did, um, and I can take that and use it for real estate because real estate needs a lot of creative thinking on how to solve problems. Right, and you have to solve problem in real estate to make a lot of money. Otherwise, you'll be just like a normal real estate um, uh, investor. You know. Uh, and MBA just taught me that, you know, in the financial world, there's a lot more um, money to be made compared to engineering. <laughs> That's what MBA taught me. Um, yeah, yeah, correct. I mean, um, yeah, that's that's what it is. I mean, I think it's anybody can do what we are doing as long as they have the mindset and persistence. All right. So Good. that's what I think. I mean, I'm not saying education is nothing, but I'm just saying that, you know, you really don't need that to come up to what we do. Yeah. Wise words. I love it. All right. Uh, best place to find out more about you and where to purchase your book. Uh, my book can be bought at Amazon. Uh, it's passive investing in commercial real estate. I don't know whether this is going to show correctly. Yeah. Yep. Correct. Uh, Amazon. I did uh, release three version. One is Kindle, a physical book and also audible because I'm an audible guy. So you can find it in Amazon. I can be personally, uh, you know, accessible through my email, James at Achieve Investment Group, James at Achieve Investment Group dot com, and my website is Achieve Investment Group dot com. Um, I'm now I'm very active in my multi multifamily investors group Facebook group. Uh, the Facebook group called Multifamily Investors Group. There's like thousand people right now. Uh, we just launched it like one month, one and a half month ago, and we have like you know over thousand people right now. Um, I'm very active there and uh, I have a lot of people, you know, who are engaging in conversations over there as well. And uh, also I'm, I'm going to be launching a podcast. Uh, it's called Achieve Wealth Podcast, Achieve Wealth Through Value at Real Estate Investing, where I'll be interviewing uh, a lot of uh, operators. Great. Well, that sounds good. I'll, I'll make sure I'll link all that in the show notes. Well, awesome. James, thank you so much for writing the book one and two for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed it. Hey, thanks, Scott, for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's, I'm really happy to be here and talking about my book. Thanks so much for listening to this show of the Book Club Interview with your host, Scott Hollister. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on the Book Club Interview.